Kristen, you're a very sociable person, I know. I love to socialize. You do. I love talking to strangers. I, yeah. You're gregarious, I, as they say. I, I love talking. My question to you is, what's the longest you've ever spent on your own? No, no, and I don't mean like in the apartment, you know, with when the boyfriend's been out, you know, on a trip and you're kind of hanging out seeing people. I mean, actually alone, alone, no, nobody. Mm. Well, several years ago, I was on a writing residency um, oh. on this tiny little peninsula off of Washington State and this little tiny town on this tiny peninsula. And the town was called Oysterville, Oysterville, okay. Washington. And... The town, I believe, had eight permanent year-round residents. Eight? I think it population was, eight. I think it was population eight. And then during other times of year, people would come in and vacation and so on there. But it was an oyster farming town. People would just go out and there'd be the shipping news. If you turned on the radio, that's all you could hear. <laughs> okay. it, really, it really made me understand The Shining a lot better. But <laughs> that was for five weeks, I think, I was out there. And I did not flourish. I did not do very well. I just I, – I don't think I'm designed for that life. What about you, Rafer? So – and when you left, did they cross out the eight and make it seven? <laughs> just like just like they always do in the cartoons. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. This town was so small. They didn't have a light. They had wow. no light. Oh, no stoplight. Yeah, I like no, it. No, not even – no stoplight. No light. No there light. There was no street light. That's great. And you had to use flashlights going out so that you wouldn't fall into a ditch. It was wow. it was crazy. That's the real deal. Yeah, it was the real deal. But what about you? Have you have you been secluded before? <sighs> not uh, not quite like that. I think probably the the longest I've spent in seclusion was um, one time um, when I got really sick. Uh, my my friends will recognize this story. I, I was when I first very first moved to New York. I was starting a new job. Um, I needed a temporary place, and so I rented a room in a um, – it was a converted brothel in Chinatown. Ooh, yeah, nice. <clears throat> It was very exciting, and the guy had, had turned all the little massage chambers into rooms. And tiny, he was tiny little <laughs> Tiny little rooms with no windows. Oh, my God. How so, is that legal? Uh, it's, I, it, I doubt that it is. Oh, that's so, so Chinatown. Um, he did it up very nice. He had a really nice, uh, beautiful common kitchen with like brand new everything. It was, really, it was actually really, really cool. Also a working steam room in this place, which was great. <laughs> um, so I'd get completely drunk. And in the morning, I'd, I'd be, get up all hungover, go to the steam room, and I'd be cured. It was fantastic. But then I got sick. Um, and... I had just arrived. No one really knew my address or where I was or, or anything, and all I had was a new cell phone that very few people had. And uh, I got I got so sick in this windowless, literally pitch black, literally pitch black, no lights in this room. I had no bed, um, and I, no, I, none of my none of my things had arrived. This so I had like prison. It, right, it was. All I had was a sleeping bag and a and a shirt full of other shirts for my pillow. <laughs> And I stayed in there. I was too weak to go out and, and get any food or water. And I was in there for, I think, about three days. And occasionally um, my girlfriend, now wife, would call and um, say, are you OK? And finally at one point she said, I, I can't understand anything you're saying. You sound like you're hallucinating and you need to get out of there and get medical help. She was, in, she was living in Florida at the time. So finally, I called my good friend Lisa Goins. If Lisa, if you're listening, I owe you this forever. Lisa Goins came and got me um, in a cab and took me to the ER. 
and uh, where, the, where the ER people thought that I had spinal meningitis, oh and they gave me a spinal tap. But really, it was just because I'd been – because my lips were all shriveled up, and I had, like, no moisture in my eyes or anything. Oh, my God. And, and they basically said, oh, you just, you're just – we thought you had spinal meningitis, but you're just severely dehydrated. And so they, they just put me on saline solution for, like, you know, 24 hours. I stayed in there. Um, oh yeah, it was God. crazy. It was, cra- it was crazy. And I, I really did – I hallucinated. And I, I thought that I was with, um, I thought that I was with three other people in the room. Um, who a, were those people? A scientist whose name I can't remember. Um, another guy who was like a, a like a hostage, like a Colombian hostage type guy, and then um, a soldier whose name was Glanz, G L A N Z. This is freaking crazy. I invented all these these this three is, people. I invented is... these three people in my mind. I was completely out of my head. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, oh it was it was real. Yeah, it was funny. I, la- I mean, I laugh about it now, but I really, I really did hit a point in there where I thought, I, I just, I woke up and I thought, no one knows I'm in here, and I'm gonna become, I'm gonna become that smell. I'm gonna become, <laughs> I'm gonna become the guy where everyone's like, you know, what is that? What's that smell? And I just thought that can't happen to me. That's, that's not why I like came that, to New York. It's like that thirty <laughs> seconds on Law and Order before the show starts. Right. Like, hey, honey, we're having a great day. Come back to my place. Hey, what is that? Yeah. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Yeah. I, did, I, I was like, I, I, didn't, I don't want to be that New York story. So anyway, the reason that we are talking about all this, listeners, if you're still with us, the reason, the reason that we are going on about this is because we're going to review two films this week, both about lonely, secluded characters. Uh, we're going to review uh, – you wouldn't re- ordinarily put them together this way. One is the documentary Salinger and the other is the sci-fi actioner Riddick with oh, Vin so Diesel. Similar. Oh, can't so tell similar. Them apart. Can't so... even tell them apart. Which is which? <laughs> and which is more similar to your seclusion story and my seclusion story? Good question. Ooh, we'll find that out in just a moment. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday, and this is Movie Date. Because my loneliness is killing me. Okay, Kristen. Uh, I I'm just going to apologize to everyone. I've fallen down on the job. I've been on vacation. A lot going on in my life. I did not see Salinger. We Which, can't do everything all the time, Rafer. I tried. I tried. I'm sorry, but I do. I'm curious about this film. I want to know your thoughts on it. You've seen it. Um, strangely, this film for such a for such a major figure, Salinger. That I feel like this film has not gotten quite the amount of buzz that you might expect. But I want to hear your thoughts about this. Tell, tell me, give me the lowdown on Salinger. Well, this is a documentary. It's over two hours long. It is supposedly investigating what was J.D. Salinger doing all those years when he was locked up in his cabin in New Hampshire. Because after he rose to enormous fame after Catcher in the Rye, I think he was only 32. It was in the 50s, correct? Yeah, it was a long time ago. And he had an enormous amount of success um, in his early 30s. And then released a couple of other books and then just completely disappeared off the face of the earth. Right. And people spent years trying to photograph him, tracking him down. Um, and what was he up to? So this documentary looks at that and it has an enormous secret that it claims to reveal. And um, let's play a clip of that. The works that no one's seen, um, I do know he's been working all these years because probably the second time I'd ever been in a allowed in his study, he very proudly showed me 
uh, a set of files um, where a red dot meant this is ready to go upon mm -hmm. my death. A green dot meant this needs editing. Now, who is that? Who is that talking? So, so that is Margaret Salinger. That's JD's daughter, gotcha. and she is revealing the big secret. Is that wait? Is that is that AKA Peggy Salinger? I think so. I had dinner with Peggy Salinger. I had Thanksgiving dinner with Peggy Salinger. What? Yeah. You I'm sorry. That, glamorous I, that, life, liter oh. that literally just occurred to me right now. I've forgotten all about that many, many years ago. You have such a glamorous she, life, she Rafer. Is, oh my gosh. Friend, she is friends, or at least friendly, acquainted with my wife's um, parents. I can't remember how they met, but yeah, we all had Thanksgiving dinner oh together. Oh my gosh! You have this glamorous life. Not, not that glamorous. I'm it's just saying. Pretty glamorous. One, one, one Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> it was quite, quite genial and Invite charming. Invite me to Thanksgiving next time. <laughs> oh my god, that sounds great. I want to just run into famous people. Well, it's you know one of one of my very one of my very few claims to fame. Um, anyway, yeah, Margaret Wright, Margaret Salinger. So you're okay. from Peggy. That's your yeah, friend Peggy well, talking. Anyway. Was that Peggy? Was that Peggy Salinger? <laughs> That's her talking about. The manuscripts of her late father with the red stickers and the green stickers. and Yeah, I like that I, detail. I, and, and I don't want to spoil it. I'm not going to tell you what those manuscripts are, but the movie reveals all. It tells you the titles of the books he's been working on, what each of those books are about. It doesn't list every single book that he's been working on because, I mean, it's been How? decades he's been trapped in this house in yeah. New Hampshire, so yeah. you don't learn everything. But he set up a trust before he died to um, – manage his books and release them on a certain schedule. And I'm, everything leading up to that, you just learn who was he, why was he the kind of person who might have locked himself away. We learn a lot about his time in World War II. There's quite a bit about that. Oh, that's interesting. We, that's, something, that's something I feel I don't hear that much about. Yeah, which I knew very little about all his time in World War II. I didn't realize he had buddies that he was with. There was a gang of four, that his, mm. his group of buddies, the Four Musketeers. And one of them... Uh, talks about how they were pen pals their whole lives and wrote oh, letters wow. every day um, or every week, I think. And then we also learn a little bit about his proclivity, his fondness for teenage girls. Yes. Um, well, I'm sure now I, the, the, well, the, the, reason, the reason I asked that in that question about who that was talking was because I thought it might be Joyce Maynard. Oh, Joyce Maynard is in the movie. She is in as, the movie. As we know, Joyce Maynard was the teenage girl who – I forgot what college she went to, but she was writing um, – Quite a bit as a teenager, she wrote for Seventeen. She wrote memoirs. Um, well, she had a big breakout stories. thing in the New York Times. Uh, yeah, on right? the cover of the New York Times magazine, he saw her on the right. cover of the New York Times magazine, and I think her essay was something like uh, "The Real Life of an American Teen" or right. "Confessions of an American Teen," something like that. And he decided he wanted to pursue her, <laughs> and she dropped out of college and then went yeah. off to live with him in his cabin yeah. for a while, and. At that point, he was old enough to probably be her dad or granddad. Probably close to granddad, I would think. He was yeah. pretty old by that time. Um, yeah, but we talked with a few of his paramours. The girl who was fourteen when he started up with oh, there her. Were, the oh, girl there were who, other. There were other paramours. Oh, tons of them. Mm. And so that's another reveal in the movie too. That's interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. I never quite yeah. trusted that Joyce Maynard. Um, yeah. Memoir. Did you read that? I I, remember... I, read, I just read excerpts of it, and I kind of feel the same way as you, Rafer, yeah. about this because it's like, mm, yeah, I mean, he's creepy and weird for trying to pursue a teenage girl when he's that old. But then also, there seems something a little bit, I don't know. It was a it little. Just, I think it's the, just the, like trying to profit off of your own. I just seemed very. Yeah, I mean, well, I, even overlooking that, I remember thinking that the memoir mostly seemed to be like, and then one time he was just so mean. <laughs> and we're kind of thinking like, well, like, like, 
what do you mean? Like, I mean, like, what well, mean how? Like, give me and, and nothing. That nothing that he did struck me as. I mean, you know, he sounded like he was probably a pretty crappy boyfriend. I'm I'm sure that's true, but I never, I never get, I never got this feeling like, I never sort of put my hand to my chest and thought, oh God, that's so horrible. Jesus, this guy's sick. What you know? This is a whole new. I just thought. He's kind of a crappy old guy who like had a fling with a young teenage girl and got sick of her and dumped her and you know that wasn't cool. But I I, I don't know. I you know maybe I'm being insensitive and not mm. not taking her age into account the way I should. But I, I just never felt that memoir was quite as was quite as you wanted to be juicier. Or? I just I I just never felt like there was anything that really like sh- you know shocked me that really sort of blew my hair back and made me feel like you know holy mackerel. I just kind of thought, well, you got involved with an older guy who didn't treat you very well. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm sorry. Maybe that's I don't know. But okay. But so she's in that and she's in it. I'm, a lot of famous people are in this movie. Right. Talking heads saying, oh. My name is Edward Norton, and this is why it meant so much to me, The Catcher in the Rye. And I'm Judd Apatow. Let me tell you the first time I read yeah, Catcher see, in the that Rye. That kind of stuff I could do without. stuff like that. I don't even think that needs to be in there. Yeah. It's much more interesting to find out about his ongoing affairs with teenage girls wow. around America. That and, is more interesting. And about his World War II experience, and that stuff's good. Some of the other stuff, like the famous people, eh. Yes. Yeah. And, and there are times where the movie's sloppy, but I'd say if you're a Salinger fan... Go see it because you'll find it to be a good date once the big reveal happens. Okay. And again, don't want to spoil it. I'm just going to say you'll be excited. Okay. All right. Um, That's interesting. All right. I'll 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 probably go see that. Yeah. I think Um, you'll find it to be a good date. Okay. So now let's turn to a movie where I can actually do my job and contribute something to the conversation. (laughs) This is uh, the week's only real uh, wide release, which is uh, Riddick starring Vin Diesel. Kristen, I'll just give you a, a quick uh, plot summary because this strikes me as the kind of movie that maybe you are unclear about. You always oh, ha- you always have yeah. difficulty with these movies. But uh, here's uh, – it's based on the story of uh, Richard, Richard B. Riddick. He's a convicted murderer, um, not I think technically human or at least not an earthling depending – He's got glowing eyes. Well, he has glowing – this is all very complicated. But let's, let's put that aside <laughs> for a moment. We can get into that later. <laughs> but <laughs> – but Riddick, Riddick is a as a as a con, a, a, t- a tough guy, convicted murderer. He's been bouncing around from planet to planet over the years, and he ends up on this really crappy planet. He's stranded there. It's got barely any water. A lot of freaky computer generated creatures that are trying to eat him, kill him, etc. Uh, but of course, the real trouble begins when two teams of bounty hunters, not one but two, touch down on this planet and begin competing to put Riddick's head in a box because he is worth more dead. Than alive. Here's a clip. Grant any last wishes? I was referring to you. Not that the chains aren't a hot look, but no. Not in front of all these guys. What if I killed all of them first? Well, that's the unmistakable Vin Diesel uh, slurring his words like honey as uh, as Riddick. (laughs) Now. Ah. You're such a wordsmith. So uh, now, Kristen, I know, I know what you think of this because we've been on the takeaway <laughs> discussing this, and you and your in your blunt fashion uh, already have told me what you think of this movie. But tell us, tell us what you thought. Okay. Well, as you were just saying, the movie is kind of broken into two halves. The first half, he's just trying to survive on this alien planet with all these creatures trying to eat him. The second half, the bounty hunters and so on. So. I thought the first half was 
like a lot of Survivor movies, it's a guy with his little creature friend. In this case, it's kind of a hyena dog yeah, kind that of he a space jackal dingo uh, hyena. Yeah. yeah, but a terrible CGI animal. It's like terrible. A, I thought it was actually great. What? I thought that was awful. Oh, I thought the, I thought that little terrible. dingo guy was one of the best creature oh, effects I've seen in a God, while. He was terrible. I've seen more realistic puppets made out of a paper bag. I thought, it was I, terrible. I, I, I thought he should have been like billed as part of the cast. He was so good. <laughs> I did. I thought he was really. I thought he had like real charisma and life and kind of. Oh my God! Were we seeing the same movie? We yes. Not seen, no. That was terrible. <laughs> He was I great. cannot believe for a second. We're, oh, God. and you didn't like the little the little mesmerizing cobra creatures with the with the horns, and they would the they would kind of snake their horns together like they were sharpening knives about to eat you. You didn't no. like that? No, wow. I, didn't, I didn't like any of that. The okay. first half of the movie, I felt like was just a terrible, terrible CGI high budget version of Castaway, and okay. <laughs> it, it was just awful. And then the second half of the movie, once the bounty hunters arrive and. He is dealing with, oh, they want my head, all of this. It just felt like every bad horror movie I've ever seen, times a thousand, only a lot, lot worse. Interesting. Just awful. And that dialogue, we just heard that crappy dialogue. <laughs> we heard a clip. You're, I don't know what you enjoy. What did you enjoy about this, Rafer? I can't understand how you're smiling and oh. looking gleeful right now. Like, oh, this was so good. What are you talking about? This I movie just, was awful. I just loved this thing. What? I just, I just I was so happy. I was so happy to be sitting through Riddick. I, I it was. I just. Is this because you were stay-at-home dad all week and no. you spent so much time with your kids that you started thinking like your little boys? You're like, one. oh, look, there's there's something that's made out of a cartoon. Look, He's guns. shooting something. <laughs> Kablooey. I, I have to say I went into this with really low hopes because I was never a fan of the original franchise and um, and I had to do my homework to you know I'd never seen any of the original movies I think a lot of people probably don't even know this as part of a franchise it started out with Pitch Black which I think was maybe 2001 uh, a few years later they followed up with Chronicles of Riddick um, this was kind of, this is sort of Vin Diesel's other franchise outside the Fast and Furious franchise, which clearly clearly you know became so much more popular and 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 generated so much more money that you know he just he dumped the Riddick franchise and, and went and went for As this well, one. Well, he should um, have. But I think the I think also the Chronicles of Riddick, uh, the the middle movie there, uh, I think kind of shot itself in the foot because it went for this. You know, the original was kind of was again like this movie. You know, the the. Tough guy, ex-con, but you know he's kind of got a good heart, and he's gonna. People are gonna get together. He's gonna save some people. It was that kind of thing. And the second film went for sort of fantasy Tolkien hoo ha with like a crown and a kingdom and oh, a God. prophecy and a you know blah blah blah. Anyway, and that's where you that's where you discover that he's actually not from Earth. He's from Furia, the planet Furia. Um, but anyway, Riddick. Sort of a reinvention, right? The title, Riddick. Um, mm -hmm. It's like when Genesis named its 12th album Genesis. It's like we're, <laughs> we're, we're, re we're representing ourselves. Nice to meet you. I'm Riddick. Um, I just thought it was really high-grade, well-crafted garbage. It was just like it was total pulp. Completely preposterous. Well crafted garbage. It was yes. just garbage. No, yes. no. I mean, Rafer. I thought the I thought the it was acting was really fun. It's been sitting on the curb for days. Somebody no, take I'm it away. You, it was terrible. This movie, you clearly, David Tui is the guy who is the kind of mastermind writer director behind behind these movies. He clearly has studied at the altar of 
all the best crappy B movies. Escape <laughs> from New York, Mad Max, hey, Predator. Escape from New York is not a crap movie. I'm just saying that this is a is, fantastic these, movie. These are, Listeners, these are, please see it. It is so oh, good. Oh, it's the greatest. It's it's, so Escape good. from New York is fantastic. Mad Max is fantastic. Predator is fantastic. Riddick clearly Awful. cannot hold a, a candle to these movies. But it, the lessons that, that the director has learned from those movies – I think really comes through. I think it's well-directed, a lot of fun. The dialogue just cracked me up. I thought it was funny. Um, I loved Jordi Moya, who's the guy who plays uh, the bad bounty hunter. I loved, uh, I think her name is Katie Sackhoff, who's from... Yes, I'm, that's her name. She's yeah, the one female in the, the movie. The one female. <laughs> and it's, it's classic 13-year-old boy. You get to see her boob, but you don't have to watch anybody kiss because, you know, ew. You don't want to see that. You just, just want to see a, a, a big-breasted chick in a tight outfit. She's good. She's tough. She's funny. I, I just, I loved the whole thing from start to finish. I, I just... I don't think we were in the same movie. I, I really, yeah. I knew you would feel this way this about it. This is awful. This movie was awful, awful, awful from start to finish. Bad date. An unexpectedly good date. I don't want to overpraise the thing, but an unexpectedly <laughs> good <late>. date. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm on record as liking Riddick. What can I say? And uh, before we go today, we want to just quickly touch on some listener mail and then, of course, Trivia. Well, I think we should start with – why don't we start with, uh, with this uh, call that we got from a listener who was commenting on two things. One was uh, your um, extended rant against uh, – about movie etiquette. Uh, but this listener also had some things to say about one of our reviews. Hey, Reefer. Hey, Kristen. How's it going? It's Aaron from Chandler, Arizona. Yes, the Facebook guy. Um, I was uh, calling for two reasons. One – Bravo on your um, your comments about people that are rude in theaters. Um, there is a theater in Texas, Alamo Drafthouse, that literally will throw you out if they catch you texting. And if you want if you want to have something that will really make you laugh, go on YouTube and uh, type in Alamo Drafthouse texting. Um, the second reason for my call is you guys had mentioned the movie um, The Spectacular Now, and I actually saw it a little over a week ago. Really, really enjoyed the film. Um, Rafer, I, I disagree with you on, on your assessment that the film didn't go where you thought it was supposed to. I think that's what makes the film so genius. Um, I think what you were waiting for is that bottom that an alcoholic normally hits in a movie. And he didn't hit it in the way that you thought he did, but he, he did hit it. Thanks for a great show. Take care. So, Aaron, first of all, I want to say I've seen that Austin movie house warning, and I recommend all the listeners go and look it up. Uh, just Google it. It's great. It's somebody who misbehaves in a movie theater, leaves a really angry message for the movie theater, and the public service announcement is really just her really, really whiny, bitchy message that she leaves in <laughs> that movie theater, which I've... is hilarious. You know what? Some of us, we, we just need to text sometimes. Da, 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 da. And if you're going to kick me out of the movie for texting, then you guys are jerks. You know, it's that kind of thing. I would um, like to have that that public service announcement in all movie theaters. I, I really movie would. Theater in I really would. But, Rafer, let's respond to the spectacular now question. The rock bottom thing. Aaron was mentioning that you maybe overlooked the rock bottom issue or, yeah, or, you, know, or, you, or you misread the rock bottom issue. I think I understand what, I think I understand what he's saying. I, I, still, I still disagree. I still just feel like the movie didn't I feel like the movie pulled its punches and 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 didn't really hit hit where it count. That's that's just me. But I'm glad that uh, that Aaron called in, and I just want to say that if anybody else wants to call in 
with uh, reviews, whether you want to agree, disagree. Disagreeing is always kind of more fun, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, but if you want to agree or disagree, uh, give us a call, 5717movies. I, I personally, and I know Kristen does too, I think we just love hearing from people and hearing what you guys have to say, You know, even if you're completely ticked off. Um, I just think oh, it's, it's fun. Great. We love it. We yeah. love it. Here's another call we got from Dave in Portland. Christopher and Kristen, this is Dave from Portland, Oregon. Apropos of this week's podcast, uh, my proudest moment in watching the Harry Potter movies with my seven-year-old daughter was when she asked, why aren't these called the Hermione movies? Love the podcast. Thank you very much. Now, that was in response to a podcast we did a couple weeks ago on Kick the ass, Bechdel rule. Oh, the yeah? Bechdel rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Bechdel rule. And there are just so few movies where women are, you know, main characters, where they talk to each other and so on. And um, Dave, your daughter sounds awesome. I love that she would love for the Harry Potter movies to be called the Hermione movies. Well, it's just like, well, Kristen, you wanted Kick-Ass to be called Hit-Girl. Yes. You wanted Kick-Ass <laughs> 2 to be called Hit-Girl 1. Yes. You know what? There should be a sequel that is kind of like a mashup like those events. Avengers movies where it's like Hermione and uh, Hit Girl. Hermione and Hit Girl together What you need, what you need is Hermione colon Origins. Oh. That's what you need. I would love that. I would love that. And when that happens, Dave, why don't you make that happen, Dave? Yeah, make you that happen. You and your daughter. Make that happen. Make that happen. <laughs> we also had some people writing in over the last week or so. Um, uh, one of them, Lynn, we were so happy to hear from you. Uh, Lynn said that she was thrilled because in the last podcast, we play, we played Kendrick Lamar's song, Swimming Pools. Well done, she says. And I have to give all credit to that to Rafer Guzman. That's, that's my, that's, was, that was my one uh, contribution to the Movie Date soundtrack, which is almost <laughs> always 99.9% .9 of the time programmed by music supervisor Kristen Meinzer, but I but I did choose uh, the Kendrick Lamar. So uh, so I, thank you, Lynn. But we could use help if you guys ever want to suggest songs for us to play. I mean, seriously, I, that's true I, too. I, I frequently choose songs that are about thirty years old. <laughs> <laughs> choose a lot of songs that are playing on the airwaves this summer. So any suggestions are very, very welcome. We did get one more piece of listener mail from Philip in D.C., who was listening to our discussion of alcoholism in the movies. And he said, uh, based on your discussion, I'm going to suggest that both of you view the film The Days of Wine and Roses. And then he says, cheers and uh, er, take care. Um, and he's referring to – thank you. Thank you for that, Philip. He's referring to a, uh, a 1962 movie uh, with Jack Lemmon and Lee Remick as uh, al alcoholics. Hold in a, in on. A, is that us? I, I think, Am I, I Lee Remick here? I think you're Lee Remick, <laughs> which is not bad uh, considering that now I, I now look like Jack Lemmon uh, in this scenario. But um, that that movie is kind of – is a very very gritty, very grim film, kind of, kind of the leaving Las Vegas of its day. Ooh. Uh, that is just like us, Ray. Right? Yeah, it's just like you and me. <laughs> Directed weirdly by Blake Edwards, who did all oh, the Pink Panther films. Not, to, um, not let's and let's not also forget Victor Victoria. And let's let's <laughs> never forget Victor Victoria. One of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Um, but anyway, thank you for the recommendation. It is it is a it is a great film. I'll um, I'll try to watch that, Philip. I'll, I'll do that. I'll I'll pour myself a drink first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. Okay. Uh, so okay. <laughs> let's. Let's let's turn to a more serious a more serious uh, piece of listener mail here. Uh, this comes from a listener who was uh, taking issue, Kristen, with you. Mm. What else is new? Um, <laughs> this comes from uh, Rachel in New York City, but she raises a good point. I'm going to read this out to you, Kristen. This was in response to our 
interview last week. Yes, we interviewed uh, Morgan Spurlock, uh, the uh, the unlikely director of This Is Us, the One Direction uh, movie, but the boy band One Direction. And uh, Kristen, you uh, you said that I think you were saying. Tell me, you were saying you felt that this, this, that that the band was a good source of self-esteem for young girls. Is I, that right? I was saying that um, my favorite point in the movie was when a young girl, that all, all the all the fans, these super fans who are just crazy and screaming and crying all the time. Uh, at one point, one of them tells Morgan Spurlock, "I." love them because they say the things to me that no boy would ever say. And yes. his response was, well, that's what I – that was my favorite part of the movie too. And you can make fun of them all you want to. But what's so bad about some a, a boy band that makes young girls feel good about themselves? Don't we need more things in this world that make young girls feel good about themselves? Well, here is what Rachel from New York City uh, has – she has a point to raise. Uh, I'll read it out. I enjoy the podcast, but I was offended by your take on One Direction. You depicted them as a source of self-esteem for girls, citing a world that tells girls they're ugly or worthless. Enter boy bands who say the things real boys don't say to save the day. And what do they say to, quote unquote, respect the girls? Come on over. I don't care if people find out. That's in the song you played on air. I don't care if people find out. They should call the song, Most People Would Be Ashamed to Be Seen With You, But I'm Not. You're Welcome for the Self-Esteem, which that's a good title, but that would actually be from an emo band. That would be an emo band title because it's so long. Um, uh, so, But Rachel continues. Uh, and on the song that gets the radio play, they sing, You don't know you're beautiful. That's what makes you beautiful. I.e., if you already respect yourself, keep walking. The boys are cute and their songs are catchy, but their message is, let me tell you you're pathetic so I can comfort you. Mm, now, Rachel. Kristen. Well, first of all, Rachel, thanks for writing in. Yes. We, and you know what? I agree with you on, on a lot of that, Rachel. And I used to totally make fun of that song, You Don't Know You're Beautiful and That's What Makes You Beautiful. I used to call that the anthem of low self-esteem. Um, <laughs> I love you because you think you're worthless. Yes. Right. I want a girl who thinks she's worthless. But I think there are a few different ways to look at this. One to all the girls out there who really do feel ugly, who feel like nobody notices that they're beautiful, to all the girls out there who feel awkward, they might feel that the song is singing directly to them. I'm not saying that this is a song you should sing to all girls, girls who have high self-esteem, but maybe this is the song that girls with low self-esteem can hear and feel a little bit better about themselves. Okay. But I think there's another issue that might be even bigger here, which is if we're going to talk about what beauty is and what looks are, I think that... This is a complicated situation because, let's be honest, boy bands are constructed. They're put together specifically because they're strictly about being beautiful. Yeah, they're cute. They're cute, and it's very little about their talent. It's like, can we dress you up in cute outfits? Uh, do you have a sex appeal, the kind of sex appeal that's non-threatening to teenage girls? And so the idea of who's being objectified and who feels good about themselves and what's making these girls feel good about themselves is partly objectifying boys who only look good. And yeah. so I think it makes it a much more complicated puzzle than simply are these boys making the girls feel bad? Well, are the girls actually liking the boys for anything other than their their looks, really? So right. Um, right. that's kind of my take on it. So um, I don't know if that really answers your question, Rachel. I, mean, I, think, it's, I think it's a good point. I, I think I think all of this stuff is, is surprisingly, uh, all this stuff is very complicated. It's all very, very complicated. The Smiths were always a really fascinating example of that to me of a kind of um, this sort of weird in, entanglement of 
low self-esteem and um, you know, and sort of anti-beauty, but also you turn Morrissey into a sex, you know, a sex mm-hmm. symbol, and then he becomes this kind of thing that you're worshiping, but yet he's always talking about how miserable he is and unhappy he is and how he's not like the beautiful people. And so, you know, it's all very tangled up because I think all that stuff is very tangled up when you're when you're a kid, Um, you know, and let's face it. I mean, you're right. I mean, boy bands, I think, are, uh, you know, they're in the dream business, right? They're they're manufacturing a fantasy. And that's that's what it's about. Um, But I don't know. I think I think um, I'm not really the person to answer that because I, I have. I, I despise boy bands, <laughs> and I, I pretty much always have. Oh, come on. You love New Kids on the Block. I never liked— You always I, you are know, singing New Kids on the Block songs. I, I pride myself on being open-minded, um, but the boy bands— just, And it's—I you know I shouldn't say, like, oh, they're, you know, they're all so stupid and gross. I just—I never—you know, I could listen to a Britney Spears song. I could, lis- I could listen to, you know, I don't know what, some kind of crappy, catchy dance song, Kylie Minogue or something. I don't know what. But the boy bands, I just never— I never got it. They're not speaking to me, you know. I don't. I don't get it. So I'm not. I'm not the expert. Mm. Well, speaking of boy bands, we had a trivia question last week all about boy bands. That's right. Uh, we were asking. Uh, we were making making the point that boy bands have been around for a very long time. Uh, that One Direction is certainly not the first. And we played a clip of a movie, and we asked you to identify this manufactured boy band. Somebody have to be in the bottom. Well, I'm the tallest and the strongest. So you're in the bottom. Yeah, I, oh, well. Everybody's where they want to be. Yeah. That was a particularly inept thing to say. Peter, considering that we are in a vacuum cleaner. And among the answers we got uh, was this one from Ken. Hi, movie daters. This week's trivia question about the boy bands, I believe the answer is the boy band is the Monkees, who were my wife's favorite boy band when she was in junior high, so you can do the math on that one. And the name of the film was Head, came out in 1968, kind of a psychedelic, crazy thing. A lot of guest stars in it, Terry Carr and Victor Mature, and Funicello, Frank Zappa. Um, And the clue, I think, in there was the fact that they mentioned Peter, and that was a conversation between Peter Tork and Mickey Dolenz, who some people who are even older might remember a circus boy back in the 1950s TV show. The movie is produced by Bob Raffleson and his buddy Jack Nicholson. Well done. And wow. a, an authoritative answer. Very thorough. Very thorough. Jack Nicholson. Yes. Absolutely. That's right. Bob <laughs> Raffleson. Uh, yeah. Good job, Ken. Thank you. So for this week's trivia, um, we, in honor of movies about secluded characters, people who are all by themselves, we are be, at, okay. be, be they Salinger All or be they <laughs> be they a convicted alien convict. <laughs> we are going to mention once again, which we brought up earlier, a lot of these secluded character movies. The character will have a little friend with them, an inanimate yeah. object, either an awful, awful CGI character in the case of Riddick or, or Joyce Maynard. <laughs> That's cruel. Why am I being, why am I being so being insensitive? so mean today, That's, Ray that's a thing to say. All right, anyway. You really don't like Joyce Maynard. That's not true. Actually, you, she's a really good writer. Yeah, whatever. Thing. You and Peggy were totally gossiping about her during Thanksgiving. I didn't, believe me, I did not even bring up Joyce Maynard at that Thanksgiving dinner. Believe me. But the point is, a lot of these secluded characters, they have a little inanimate object that they enjoy that keeps them company oftentimes in the movies. We want to know, what is the name of the movie where 
the inanimate object, the animal, the fake character, whatever you want to call this thing, the Joyce Maynard of the movie, what is the movie where the character has a friend named Richard Parker? Good question. I like that one. If you know, give us a call, 5717movies. Or log on to facebook.com slash movie date podcast. 